Hey everybody, this is Brett. And I'm Christian. And you're listening to the Gilded Films Podcast. 1954 edition. Hello, listeners. It is I, Christian, and welcome to the Gilded Films Podcast, where we are here to talk about yet another year in film and the best picture nominees of that particular year. Um, for this one, we've gone and we've picked 1954. We found ourselves on the waterfront, hanging out with the country girl, seven brides for seven brothers. We've mutinied with a cane and we threw three coins in a fountain. Donna is <laughs> the best I could do. Anyway, hi, it's me, it's Christian. And here's Brett as always. Yo, what's up? Hello, hello. KU1. So that's development for his life, I guess. Natty and, and back with us as always is the bane and love of our existence. Hello to Zay. Today it's going to be bang. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, I can only imagine. I was going to come up. Oh, no. I'll save all my Grace Kelly dying jokes for later. Oh, no. <laughs> How mean. I know, but people can be bitter. Anyway. <laughs> all right. Well, yes, we are talking about 1954 the 27th Academy Awards. These occurred on March 30th, 1955, so pretty late that year. Um, as Christian mentioned coming in, that the winner was on the waterfront. That was definitely the big one of the night. Um, Best Director went to Elia Kazan of the same film. That was his second win. Uh, yeah, there's some details surrounding him that I'm sure we'll get into. Best Actress went to Grace Kelly for The Country Invalid. Girl. Possibly Christian's least favorite win ever. We'll find out. Um, it's got to be up there. Uh, best actor went to Marlon Brando for On the Waterfront. This is actually his fourth consecutive year getting nominated in that category, um, which I'm pretty sure has, has never been done since. So pretty impressive. Uh, best supporting actress also from On the Waterfront went to Eva Marie Saint. This, this was his her first theatrical film role which is pretty impressive she is still alive she's one of those like last remaining from the classical hollywood era i think she turns like 98 this year um so that's pretty cool best supporting actor went to edmund o'brien for the barefoot contessa he actually beat three actors from on the waterfront adapted screenplay went to the country girl original screenplay went to on the waterfront it was actually somewhat adapted it was quote-unquote suggested by a series of articles i'm not sure what that means but it went as original on the waterfront did get the most wins with eight it also got the most nominations on the night with 12 uh this year is hosted by bob hope in hollywood and thelma ritter in new york uh, i think the last time we talked about this was with all about eve where they had things going on in two locations um on the waterfront 
third film to receive five acting nominations and the first ever to receive three in the supporting actor category. And we had two big upsets for A Star is Born on the night. Sorry, Christian. Uh, obviously Best Actress, and it also lost in Best Song to Three Coins in the Fountain. I don't know, that Three Coins in a Fountain song's kind of catchy. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, sing, sing me a verse. Uh, when we get to it, sing me a verse without looking it up. Three Coins. And you can't sing that. You can't sing the beginning. <laughs> You can't sing the obvious. To be fair, <laughs> I, I can't sing a verse from the other song either. So, the night <laughs> is bitter. The stars have lost their. Gl- <laughs> this is going to be fun. All right. Well, that's kind of an overview of the Oscars from this year. Are we ready to dive into these five nominees? Sure. All right. Well, Let's talk about this. Right Let's talk about this. Raising canes. <laughs> All right. Well, yes, our first one is The Kane Mutiny. Um, it's directed by Edward Dimitrik, and it stars Humphrey Bogart in maybe the lead role. Uh, but he, he plays this commander called uh, Captain Quig. He has taken over the USS Kane in the Navy during World War II, um, replacing Commander DeVries, who is, DeVries was well-liked by the crew of the Kane. Um, things weren't really run top-notch they're pretty lackluster but the morale is pretty good uh Quig takes over and he wants to run a tight ship to the extreme he wants to change everything it has to be by the book um so far down to you're in trouble you get written up if your shirt is untucked it, it gets kind of that absurd um well things go along and it gets more and more intense to the point of concern um he kind of shows signs of cowardice when he moves away from a battle too early. He throws a big fit when there are missing strawberries and completely shuts down all commands to commence this search for this made up key that someone's hiding to get into the strawberries and whatnot. Um, and three people on the ship, his kind of officer crew, um, Steve Merrick, Tom Kiefer and Willie Keith, they kind of come together to decide whether or not they should form a mutiny. Um, and that does come about though in ways that are perhaps unexpected. And so of course the film is about the lead up to that, but also the fallout from that. Obviously when you form a mutiny, you're going to be court martialed most of the time to figure out if it was justified or not. And that's what goes on here. And we kind of go through the trial and see everything that happens as a result of that. And so, um, this one, I think I enjoyed more than I expected to probably, uh, when I heard about it, all I could think about was uh, Mutiny on the Bounty, which is obviously a very different movie, but I just had a bad taste in my mouth from that going into this, and I was like not expecting something good. Uh, but it is pretty good. Uh, Humphrey Bogart is outstanding in the lead role. He's, he's always great, but there's a courtroom scene here where he kind of has this breakdown, and it is just like top-notch stuff from Bogart. Um, Fred McMurray as well. I really like his character and the different layers that get peeled back for him. And Jose Ferrer. He's not in this for very long, but he is really effective. Um, in fact, they gave Tom Tolley a supporter, Best Supporting Actor nomination, which is completely random to me. I, I think that should have gone to Ferrer, honestly. But anyway, um, I do think it does get a little... 
I don't know, a little too deep with some of the Navy specific stuff, maybe spends a bit too much time on the more technical side of things. But once it gets to the actual form of like seeing how off this guy is and how he really does not seem capable of commanding this ship, it does become pretty interesting how they choose to go about that and what comes becomes of that. Um, I do think it's a little bit too, like I, at times I thought it was going to be a little bit critical of Navy leadership and the way things are done, but then it, it, it leans, you could tell that this is still just 10 years removed from World War II and it's still very patriotic at the end. It's like, thank you to the Navy and blah, blah, blah. And looks like there's probably finance in some way by that. But that said, it's still really good. Um, not among my favorites that I've seen so far this year, but I enjoyed it. I, I like it. with Brett. Oh, wait, hold on. Let me do, let me do, let me do, let me do, <laughs> let me do my like. Mine's simple. I really liked it. I really enjoyed it. I love Humphrey Bogart in this. Um, it's kind of, I keep telling this to Toby, but it's really weird that he, the Humphrey Bogart didn't make it past like a couple years after this movie when he died. He like never made it to the 1960s, but he lived so subconsciously in our minds that if you think about it, he was only around from the 30s, 40s, and 50s. Um, but I never noticed how much of this does not take place on the water. Like there's a lot of land scenes, which kind of threw me off because I just saw this a few years ago, but I, I only remember the, the stuff on the boat. Um, the strawberry stuff is like, it pisses me off so much. And then you see the spiral of this man. So all I'm saying, if you're out there, if you're in the Navy, give me a good old fashioned mutiny. Okay. I think we need one. Okay. Really liked it. That's me now. Destroy Brett. I, I mean, hey. I, I, I like this more than Brett, apparently. I don't know if I liked it more than Christian, but. The plot twist. I know. First of all, I thought. Tom Tully was pretty good. And I also would think about giving him a nomination. Do I think Jose Ferrer, Ferrer deserved it more? Yes. I will give you that. But I also like Tom Tully a lot. I thought he was a nice, like, starting off point. Um, if we can get to Helen Mirren for eight minutes, we can give it to Tom Tully as well. I think. But that's just... Um, <laughs> Those are comparable. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I waited to watch this one until today because I didn't look into what it was about at all. And I was just like, oh, it's just a World War II movie. It's going to be just blah. So I waited till the end to see it. And then it turned out to be like, spoiler is my second favorite of these. And I was just like, okay, I'm here for this. Um, but I agree. I have Humphrey Bogart, really great in this love to see him i love to see him in his more like psychological things like here and in, like in a lonely place i think he gives those really good roles when he's like more introspective than his like outwardly rugged kind of roles he's also probably more known for um yeah i i also disagree that i really like the technical stuff I thought it built the world of these Navy men. Is that, I'm gonna say Navy men more. Um, it just made it feel more real and grounded. What made it feel less real and grounded was like the things were like, hold on, this didn't actually happen. We're letting you know now, this is all fake. 
And then at the end, they're like, we dedicate this movie to our Navy heroes. And I'm like, I I get that looking that up, they had to do that in order to use the Navy whatnot. Um, but I don't know. I was just like, all right, I get it. It almost feels like um, a warning to, to Navy people or any type that don't fucking mutinize. We're a civilized country. I mean, what? The only real mutiny that I know of, yeah, I know, quote unquote, the only mutiny I know of in a movie is fucking mutiny on the bounty, and that's British. So, I mean, not too far off here. Oh, we also learned that Brett hates mutiny on the bounty. I don't think he's talking about the 30s version. No, I, the, yeah. The one we've talked about on this podcast, the 62 version. Oh. Go back oh. and listen to my thoughts on that one. Yeah. Fake fan. Oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't catalog <laughs> <laughs> i haven't seen the 30s version so i don't know about that one but okay. the 60s one sucks also this is like this is a pretty popular uh now turned into play oh there's you know what there's a golden girls reference to this too i'm gonna find it because i totally forgot what it is but i can hear blanche saying it in my <laughs> i think part of the reason i found it so I don't know, like the the technical stuff, because I think you're right. But like, it was also to me like that, it felt very slow paced. And then the mutiny happens. And all of a sudden it has this really jarring edit and jump. And like, we see them mutinize, he takes over. And then all of a sudden we're in the courtroom. Like it, there was nothing about the immediate aftermath of the mutiny. And so that was kind of jarring to me. Uh, and I found it surprising. But doesn't that just like suspend your disbelief and... I don't do I mean do we need all this filler stuff in the middle of it all? I mean, do we need the technical stuff then? That that's my point. Is like we needed all that, but like we didn't need to see how the crew reacted to the actual mutiny. Cause I think that would have made the the courtroom scenes that much more impactful because a lot of the courtroom is like them coming in and basically saying, because they don't want to get in trouble, basically saying, Oh no, we didn't agree with the mutiny and blah blah blah. I think if you just take a little, I'm not saying a bunch, take a little time to show how things went in the immediate aftermath, it would have made that more effective. You can see that. But I'm interested in the big monologue that Ferrer gives at the end. Hmm. Like where he basically comes in and says, I like this, you know, Queeg came to you guys for help and you turned him down. And that's why this happened. And I did this for you, uh, Merrick, because you're not the guilty party here. That's the reason I did this. I want to get your, your guys' thoughts on that, because that, that was an interesting scene to me. Brett's going in depth with this. <laughs> you caught me off guard with these gotcha questions. I don't know. It almost feels I, like it's, it's the whole don't judge a book by its cover. They jump to conclusions on who this guy is. Maybe... I don't know. Maybe he was there not to be the psychological tormentor that they thought he was, you know? I mean, the whole fucking strawberry thing really throws them for a loop. Throws me for a loop, too. Something about the strawberry scene, just really quickly. I mean, sand or whatever it was, strawberries, not the same thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. I don't To me, that was like one of the biggest, like the most influence the, the biggest scenes in the movie because i don't know it, to me that seemed like a navy thing i'm not sure if it's like that in the book but it's almost like 
you guys may have been wrong, but like, I, I don't know. I thought the guy was not fit to run that ship from what I watched in this movie. And then it, that scene yeah. comes in, it's like, ooh, I don't know. It gives me the whole don't question authority. Authority was given, was put there for a reason. So, I don't know. I, I it gave me the feeling that maybe that was like something because I don't I obviously have not read the book, but perhaps put into the film in order to balance out the more real life navy. That's that's kind of what I thought. That's kind of what I thought too. And like and like thinking about this movie too, I would love to see how this works as the play because the play is widely produced because you can have such a good ensemble of it, you know. Mm-hmm. Sure. what's the different feeling of that like do, do you actually see most of this stuff happening on the ship how does that how does your beliefs have to go with that like do you just have to imagine certain things you know? yeah it's interesting I thought it was an interesting scene because I, I I don't know on one hand I really enjoyed the scene because I think Ferrer is fantastic in that scene on the other hand I'm just like I don't know what to think of this this is a really interesting like turn so I don't know maybe it's good for that but All right. So this one did, it didn't win any Oscars, but it did get seven nominations uh, for obviously picture. Uh, Bogart was nominated for actor, Tom Tolley for supporting actor, the screenplay, sound recording, film editing, and the score were all nominated. Honestly, personally, if I divide things up, uh, Bogart is my personal supporting actor winner. And I think he's supporting in this. I don't know. I think he's a good villain care. Obviously that, you know, he's portrayed as like a villain character in this and a good villain character most times is supporting. I know Brett was trying to, you know, throw hands last night and saying, well, then who's lead? I mean, it may be a situation of like the favorite. Everybody's lead. Everybody's supporting. I don't know. I did not I just say know, that. I just know that Bogart for me is supporting. But with his star persona back in the day, he ain't going to be thrown into a supporting category. Yeah, he's one that could go either way for me. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I think for sure that... uh, Let me get all the names. I, I think for sure Robert Francis's lead and like McMurray and Johnson, I, I feel like they have to be lead too. Um, and then Bogart, I, I don't know. That one's really tough for me. I could see it go either way. You know who should have been lead? Meatball. I like Meatball. <laughs> okay, that scene where him and what's the other guy's name? Was it Budge? I don't know. They were just naked together, and they were kind of just buddy-buddy <laughs> up on each other, and I'm like, okay, y'all having fun on the cane. <laughs> It was Budge. I just looked it up. Meatball and Budge. Very I nice. mean, hey, if you have a cast of only men, I'm just going to go right to the gay card. I'm just going <laughs> to there's, there's some shit going down. And I'm, no offense to May Wynn, who played May Wynn, but <laughs> was not much of a character. No. Look, when I saw that there was a female name in the opening credits, I'm like, oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> gotta she throw that it. romance in she did five whole movies 
All right. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, does not matter. Any further thoughts on the cane mutiny? Not a cane in sight. All right, Christian. It's a good movie. Good movie. Yes. Christian, have fun. Okay. Well, up next, we have the story of the country girl, Rose Lindstrom, soon to be Rose Nyland, is engaged to Charlie Nyland. She was born as an orphan and given to the local fire station where I believe, what was it? There was some cracker. No, it was a thing of sausage, some cheese and crackers that really didn't go with anything in the baby. And that is the story of the country girl. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Okay. So anyway, we're, the real country girl was directed by George Seaton uh, based on, I guess, a book. Is it a book? Oh, it's a play. Excuse me. By Clifford Odets. And it stars Bean Crosby, Grace Kelly, and William Holden. And it is a story of a really washed up actor known as Frank Elgin. Um, like I said, he's washed up. He just has a lot of shit going on in his life. He's very down and out, depressed. But William Holden, as Bernie Dodd, really wants to give him a chance to star in his new production, uh, see something in him, but at the same time, you know, needs to really motivate him and see what the issue is for why he's so despondent. Well, then enter Frank Elgin's wife, played by, yeah, Grace Kelly. Her name is Georgie. It's a revolutionary role, whatever. I'll talk about that in a second. But she has her own sort of struggles as well. It's a very marriage story. We have our own straight people issues. Um, But then you find out that there was an incident with um, Frank and their child that happened years and years ago that really threw him over the edge and turned him into an alcoholic. And just because of that, a lot of shit happens. There's a very much of a disconnect between the marriage. It's not a happy marriage at all, but just really hoping that Frank can be somebody without all this interference from the wife really telling him you're nothing yada 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 but that's it that's that's the majority of the film um Bean Crosby is I think Bean Crosby is really good in this um it's it's definitely different to see him playing a more dramatic role and not so much a happy-go-lucky type role um this is the same year he also is doing White Christmas so total 360 there as well William Holden is good. I mean, he's being William Holden, so his range of emotions pretty much stays consistent. Sorry, William Holden fans. I mean, he's a good actor, but Sunset Boulevard is amazing. And then we come to Grace Kelly. Oh, Grace Kelly. Oh, Princess Grace Kelly. Oh, the bane of my existence. Because as we well know, the Academy Award for Best Actress that year was to go to Judy Garland in her star-turning performance comeback role of A Star is Born, which we'll talk about in a later episode because, of course. But then the Academy saw how revolutionary this beautiful ingenue of Grace Kelly was my god you mean she can be a housewife just like me just like my friends she doesn't have to have the glitz and glamour let's give her all the awards because she just wants some sugar for her coffee so she wins an award is she good in this movie yeah I'll actually say she is pretty good she's not at the bottom of my list by all means out of the 97 that have ever won for best actress she is and i have this here she's my number 66 okay so 
Um, but no, she is she is fine in this. I think she's actually really good at the very pivotal moment where she get like literally bears her soul out to William Holden's character, where she does like, I just want sugar for my coffee. Because you see of her heartbreak and her pain that she has going on here. Should she have won the Oscar? Well, ask me that in the next episode, okay? I think you know from the answer. But before I continue on to you two, I will say that it's interesting to see the trajectory of an acting award in what we call nowadays the like transformative roles. Because now I look at that as like the Meryl Streep or the Rami Maleks where you're putting on these prosthetics or the, like even Jessica Chastain as of late. You're putting on this heavy makeup, these prosthetics. You have this, you know, the goofy accent, if you will. But back then, something as simple as this, this beautiful Grace Kelly not totally wearing, you know, the glitz and glamour makeup and beautiful gowns, as you'll see later on in Rear Window or Dial M for Murder, but just being simple and modest, going back to her real like Pennsylvanian roots. So interesting for the transformative role as we know it today. Okay, that's my spiel. I have indigestion. And the one thing I will say, I don't hate this movie. I don't think it's anything to write home about. Well, those of us who are following from our 1983 episode, oh, didn't we just cover this movie with Tender Mercies? I mean, it just like so close together. And I'm just like, I don't know, sad drunk man genre. It's a genre. Um, I I like Grace Kelly a lot more than Christian does. I don't know. Yeah, something against her. Um, look, I like her. Look, I like her as and literally everything I've seen of her. Again, it's a it's a fine role. I just have a bias for certain <laughs> reasons. <laughs> um, but yeah, I I watched it. I think the movie, it's the movie. I don't have any strong feelings one way or the other, really. It feels like a movie made from a play. Um, and it, I do get the appeal of Grace Kelly going against type and Bing Crosby also kind of against type to a degree, I think. Because, you know, he's usually the successful guy, not the, not the guy who's at the end of the barrel. So I thought that was also interesting to see. I just think watching it, I was just like, it felt too familiar. The story didn't really find a point of profoundness to me that would like separate it from other things in the like related films about people who were once famous and gone down or alcoholism, all of that. I'm just like, yeah. It's fine. It's a movie. It would one day. It was. If y'all know the song "Grace Kelly" by Mika, this movie's dialogue is referent is like in there. Which I don't think either of you are Mika fans, but this is for the audience out here. Then, good to know. Um, to know. <laughs> I really like this movie. In fact, I liked it a lot um i don't know maybe it's because that my whole association with this movie has been the grace kelly oscar thing 
it always feels like every time I've seen this movie mentioned, it's a response to Judy Garland losing Best Actress. Of course, Christian, but not just like everybody out there that I've seen. It's like, that's when this movie gets mentioned. I think it's kind of put a stain on that for me going in. So maybe I was just a bit surprised by it, but I really enjoyed it. I, I don't know. I think because I kept waiting for it to get like overly sentimental. I just felt like it was heading towards that path. Like there's going to be, be some big hoorah moments. We know that Crosby's character is going to be good to go from now to eternity. And that Grace Kelly's going to like have some sobbing rejoice for him coming back. But the ending is still a bit ambiguous, I think. Um, there's a lot of faith that goes into that ending. I, I don't think it's like overly sentimental like I was expecting. I think that it is maybe happier than you would think as it's going along, but it, it's not that everything is completely tied up in a pretty bow like I expected. So maybe it's just ex expectations, but I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed a lot of the conversations that take place and... I, I really enjoyed the acting. William Holden, I, I agree with Christian William Holden. He's he's William Holden. He's very good. Grace Kelly, I'm kind of along the lines with Zay. I think she's really good here. Not saying she deserved it over Judy. I think Judy Garland deserved the Oscar. Just going to point that, put that out there. But I do think Grace Kelly is really good here. Um, that said, by the slightest of margins, she is, in my opinion, the second best performance in this movie. I think Bing Crosby does something else here. Uh, I, I think he's just really, really good. And I think, like you said, Zay, maybe it's just because he's so against type. I mean, my only Bing Crosby movie experience are what we're used to. You know, the White Christmas Holiday Inn, uh, Going My Way, which I found very underwhelming uh, here it, it's like turning a new page and really, really powerful and effective, especially the scene where he's having that flashback and we learn why he is the way he is, why he became this alcoholic, why he's a shell of his former self. Um, and Grace Kelly, her character, I, I think that's the thing for me that puts it above tender mercies is that there are improvements to be made for sure. But Grace Kelly's character is a, a a vast improvement over Tess Harper's character in that movie. That's fair. I, yeah, I think definitely. the roles she plays made it, you know, stick out a little bit more for me and the, the conflicts that her own internal conflicts she has and the way she conveys those, I found pretty, pretty powerful. So um, yeah, I was surprised by it, really enjoyed it and definitely recommend it. I, I would say, I don't know, maybe its reputation has been scarred a little bit too much by the fact of the best actress win and, and, in all fairness, yeah, you know, I, Judy Garland absolutely should have won. Um, but check out the movie. I would like to add to the discussion, though, that it's, yes, Judy Garland was the one to win. But this is a damn good lineup, regardless. Maybe one of the best lineups. Because you've got Grace mm, yeah. Kelly for The Country Girl. we got Dorothy Dangerous for Carmen Jones. Judy Garland for Star is Born, Audrey Hepburn for Sabrina, and Jane Wyman for Magnificent Obsession. That's a damn good lineup, especially for like this time and like era. Because there's no one in there that just feels like they threw them in to for some movie that has not lasted whatsoever. Yeah, definitely. And Christian, uh, I don't know, 
Do you know like what Judy had going in, like what she had won? And I maybe we should save this, but interesting well, discussion. Let's, yeah, let's save that for okay. Yeah, I will say though. Um, oh my gosh, I blanked on the first thing. The second thing though is John, our good friend John, recommended to Brett and I that we buy this book called Inside Oscar. If there's anybody out there listening, I have it opened right now. But I was just. Um, reading through this for the year of 1954 and the big night, or I guess the nominations lead up to it, but it was already like in July because I guess Rear Window and Dial M for Murder, both of the Grace had already come out that people were already getting excited for her. Um, let's see. So this is from the Hollywood Reporter in July. They said, Grace Kelly is going to be one of the great, great stars of this picture business, not because of the romantic items, Kelly's lovers, but because she's a top actress. And any of you who have any doubts about this, grab a view of Paramount's Country Girl and watch that baby trope, which are, whatever that means. So, <laughs> I mean, let's see. Kelly extends her range down to the bottoms of unglamour, dead face discouragement, and she gives it everything a great actress could, one who is not handicapped by her own beauty. I mean, between that and also, I guess there was talk of being Crosby winning a second for his performance in this as well. Um, yeah. So that was really big too. But I will say if you want like super more in depth with this, watch Be Kind Rewind on YouTube. And she does a great uh, profile into the year that Grace Kelly won and why she won. Because there was a lot of factors going into it as well. Yeah, Christian, I know something you mentioned to me the other day was that, you know, Grace Kelly did what, five, five movies total in 1954? Did she really? Oh my yeah. God, I three. I, I, yeah, I think you mentioned the three, but I looked and she, she's credited for five. And that's a pretty big percentage of her career, considering that she left Hollywood a few years later to go become the Princess of Monaco. So kind of fascinating. This was her year in many aspects she worked with okay so she worked with william holden on another movie that same year called the bridges of toko re i know who he voted for <laughs> i need names <laughs> oh she really didn't make that many movies one yeah. two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven twelve they're 14 before she she got out of here Hmm. Not much. But you don't need to watch any of those. You can just watch the uh, Nicole Kidman Grace of Monaco <laughs> movie. Oh my gosh. Heartbreak feels good in a place like this. Not during that movie. <laughs> Christian, do you um, want to go over this one's yeah. Oscar success? So it won two, as we know, Grace Kelly, and screenplay. It was also nominated for picture, director for George Seaton, Bing Crosby for actor, cinematography, black and white, and art direction, black and white. Very nice. Oh, oh, goody. I have the next one, too. You do. Go ahead oh, if you're ready. Shit, I got to get some names. There's a lot of names in this movie. Hold on. Can I name all... All seven of each. All right. So our next film is Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. It takes place in 1970s cocaine-fueled Los Angeles, and it is an adult graphic film. There are, in fact, seven lucky brides for seven very lucky brothers, and uh, they're going to have a good time 
you know, chopping wood and uh, raising the barns. <laughs> but uh, okay. You know, okay, so there's a Golden Girls joke that has to do with this being not a porn movie. <laughs> I'll throw that out there. But the movie is Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, and it's a musical. Don't worry, it's a musical. Directed by Stanley Donan. And it tells the story of Adam Pontpe? Pontpe? Yeah, we'll call him Adam. Um, but he lives in the Oregon Territory. This is like the 1850s, so Oregon is pretty still much all the forest, woodsy stuff. He's looking for himself somebody who can cook for him and do the household chores for him, a.k.a. a bride. He meets the, oh, and he's played by Howard Keel. He meets Millie, who kind of wants this sort of life, played by Jane Powell. And so he, you know, marries her in an instant. Isn't it just basically like, a, hey, I like you. Let's get, like, it's that kind of situation. Yeah, you know, they sing, they sing their happy little songs. And then when they get up to his cabin in the woods in the middle of, you know, Nowheresville, he's like, oh yeah, by the way, I live with my seven brothers or six brothers, math. Six brothers, which kind of throws her for a loop because not only is she having to keep a household for him and her, but now for the six brothers. They're very uncouth. They're uncivilized. They're, they have no manners whatsoever. They're dirty. They'll eat anything in sight. And she has enough of it. So she kind of has to play mother to them. Um, but some of the, well, let me read the actors. Who are the brothers? We have Jeff Richards, Mark or Matt Maddox, Mark Platt, Tommy Rawl, Jacques the Amboys, who I actually know who that is. Um, he just passed away actually last year. And Little Russ Tamblin. Little Russ Tamblin's in this movie. So she then sort of teaches them how to be gentlemen because eventually they want women. They want wives of their own. There's a great uh, barn raising scene, which is like, Brett sent me a Snapchat. It was like this scene. It is actually incredible, I will say. I have fond memories, and I don't know if they still play it, of Martin Scorsese always talking about that particular scene on TCM. Zay, you might, I don't know if you remember at all, maybe. Yeah, it was just like their segue between movies. They would always have like, they're going to talk about this actor, but he would always talk about that particular scene, the barn raising scene. It's a great song and dance number. It's mostly dance. Everybody's having a good time. But anyway, so when the brothers realize like, oh, we really can't get women the old fashioned way, let's, uh, let's take and go here. What was the name of the short film that was recently nominated for an Oscar? Take oh run. my God. Take I, did, I did think about that movie. <laughs> yeah. Oh. So they take some women um, played by Virginia Gibson, Nancy Kilgus, Betty Carr, Norma Doggett, Ruta Kilmanis, and Julie Newmar, who, you know, thanks for everything, Julie Newmar. But uh, these women are now trapped in the middle of nowhere in the woods with Jane Powell's character kind of tendering to them and being like, you cannot take women against their will. They are taken against their will. But slowly, they begin to kind of like the guys, and the guys kind of like the girls. So, what will happen? And again, this is a musical. So there's a lot of great song numbers. Um, I liked, which one? When You're in Love, I think. I think that's what it is. But mo I mean, most of these songs are pretty good. And the music is great. It's beautiful to look at because it's, it's in color. 
I mean, it's in that beautiful Technicolor from the early 1950s and the sets are great. But this is also, it was also very critical commercial success. I do. Number, right? number seven of the year. Number seven. Yeah, because they put a lot more money into this MGM did than they did with Brigadoon. Which I don't remember Brigadoon, but I didn't see it. But anyway, um, I, I evidently had seen this before and I hated it, but I actually kind of liked it. Uh, when I saw it again, I the taking of the women is that's the stuff that's like uh, it's very questionable. I kind of figured you two would be on the same page with that. So, there you what go. do you mean <laughs> caring about the well-being of women? That's not me. <laughs> I don't know. It's I mean, it's directed by Stanley Donan, so we know he can direct the fuck out of a film, especially a musical. So. It's very technically, like, astounding. And I'm thinking, like, the last, like, 40 minutes of the movie is just ruined. And, like, there's just, like, they could have just put something in there that instead of the women being fucking kidnapped, just, like, they end up in the same place. That's all it could have been. And it'd be a great movie that aged just fine. Because that first hour, it's just like, great. That I mean, the whole them just getting together randomly is kind of weird, but it's not anything like problematic in any way. And, you know, the barn raising scene, perfect. The dancing and the singing, all great. The hell, <laughs> my partner was watching with me and they, like, they were like, yeah, it's really funny how they're all supposed to be like the backwoods, like, hillbilly kind of redneck looking people and then they're just all classically trained singers just like <laughs> practically off the opera stage i think that was pretty funny but i mean and like little russ tamblin he has time to practice his tumbling in the woods <laughs> um but yeah once they start kidnapping the women i'm like oh this is just a horror movie <laughs> this is just they're kidnapped against their will they force an avalanche so they'll have to stay and then they just fall in love with these men who have captured them for an entire winter and it's just it's weird it's just really weird especially because they just reduce the women to all the, the only thing they care about is that they're going to be married. And I'm like, it's just no. There should have been. This is why women needed to continue working in the film industry in the 50s. I don't. Anyway, that's my two cents. I don't. I, I wish. I just want better for the movie because so much good craft went into it. Yeah. But that that that's just unforgivable to the point that it does just ruin the rest of the movie. What yeah. about if it was the reverse? Seven grooms for seven sisters. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know how it would work. <laughs> you know they're going to make it though. Like, they're definitely going to make that. If it's still the, like the same lighthearted like comedy romance musical, I'm like, I still don't think it's gonna work. But if they made if hey, 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 if they made a horror remake of Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, I'll be first in line. 
Well, I think this is certainly the one we're probably going to have the most agreement on, um, possibly. But yeah, I, I'm on the exact same page. The first hour of this movie is a total blast. It is so much fun. Uh, the, the brothers, they're kind of just like lovable idiots. They don't know any better for that first hour. And I, they're just naive. Uh, Adam's an asshole the whole time. You know, he that's kind of the way he is. Even in the beginning, he, he's kind of an asshole. But, you know, Jane Powell's character seems happy, you know, and that's all going good. And yeah, that barn raising scene is just terrific. Like that scene alone, I could watch many times no problem um the way they show up in the costumes and they've all got the different colored shirts and it's all really bright like getting full full blow of of that color cinematography is awesome um yeah it becomes stockholm syndrome the movie and it, it goes to shit and it just yeah i i don't know i i don't really have anything else to add i mean i think zay hit the nail on the head that it's just unfortunate because it, it could be a really, really good movie. Um, but it takes that direction. And even beyond that, I, I think, you know, that the thing about love in the movie is that true love is, you know, if you're hot, you're hot, you know, uh, Millie and Adam basically fall in love because they find each other hot. And the, the Stockholm syndrome begins because, they're attracted to the seven brothers. There's no like conversation there, anything happening. Uh, not that that would make it better, but you know, there's not much to that. So yeah, I don't know. And the ending scene where they're like, Oh, whose baby is it? And they're all like ours. And I'm like, Oh, okay. This is, <laughs> this is cringy, but that's all I've got. Christian, you can go over the success it had on Oscars night. I mean, it was, it was a successful movie. Like I said, with, the box office um so evidently i'm just thinking that with martin scorsese talking about it all the damn time on tcm i wonder if this i feel like this is one of his favorite movies interesting i'll have to look that up anyway so it won for best musical score and it was nominated for picture screenplay cinematography for color which again the cinematography is really good in this i mean the production value of this alone too and film editing as well. Yep. All right. Any further thoughts on that one before we go to our next one? It's on HBO. If you want a good time, just watch the first hour. Yes. Agreed. It's a tale as old as time. There's a lot of good animals in there too. Now for our next one, I believe Zay is going to introduce it, but Zay is also going to introduce it via song. Oh gosh. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I got you. I got you. Um, what's our next movie? Three coins in the fountain, each one seeking happiness thrown by three hopeful lovers which one will the fountain bless Mouse. Not, none of the right notes or keys because i just made that shit up i will say <laughs> when i heard you i got josh gad <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's 
Um, maybe the most hurtful thing you've ever said. <laughs> That's <touched>. brutal. <laughs> uh, here, I'll make you feel better. Tony nominated Josh. <laughs> there you go. Disney royalties. <laughs> Josh Gad. Okay, so three coins and the fountain. We've got this movie with Dorothy McGuire as Miss Francis, Jean Peters as Anita, and Maggie McNamara as Maria. Three women all in Rome looking, or maybe not looking for love, perhaps employment. They are women deciding their own lives. Maria is just now arriving to Rome, and she is replacing Anita at the United States Distribution Agency. Um, and they're driving to where Anita lives with Miss Francis, and their roommates. Um, and it basically is a movie that turns each one of them is kind of pairing off Anita um, as with this uh, translator she works with Giorgio that she is perhaps attracted to but she's not going to say because she wants to leave Rome and go to America um, and Maria meets this uh, man Dean, Prince Dino who people call the predatory prince and I was just like hold on a second um, but people calling him like a womanizer and whatnot he has a very bad reputation He's, they like say that he ruins girls reputations and then um, and Miss Francis is kind of there people like she's worried she's going to become a spinster or whatever um, because she's like older and by older she's probably like 30 <laughs> and people were just like yeah she's gonna die alone so it's the player her made for her, her, maid brought her a cat so she wouldn't die alone <laughs> um and it's just yeah it's not very plot heavy really it's just Maria then is like with Dino and she's trying to investigate like, okay, what everything, what all does this man like? Let me figure that out. And I'm going to be the perfect woman for him. And then um, he's just like, and then she meets the mom and then he's like, I've never trusted another woman until you. And then she's just like, I've lied to you this whole time. And he's like, I can never forgive you until 10 minutes from now. And when I do, and that's what I really hate is the ending. The ending feels so weird and so unearned that it makes no sense because A, that part I just mentioned, there's just forgiveness, but no, no talk, no, he's just like, he has a talk with um, one of the other male characters and he was like, I'm never gonna forgive her. And he's like, never? And he's like, never. And I'm like, okay, I guess we'll never forgive her, but then it's just a big happy ending that they all get because even Francis gets a husband out of nowhere because he's just like, you know, we can be friends who marry. And I'm like, you can just be friends. What are you talking about? <laughs> um, and then Anita does stay in Rome because she has fallen for that man. Uh, that's, that's, that's the movie. It's fine. It's a fine movie. I, 
I had fun watching it, and then it's just that ending's very abrupt, and I don't know. It's a it feels like a very hollow movie to me. Like it doesn't have a lot of substance to it. And it made me think of many other romantic comedies ish. It's not it's not funny funny, but it has here and there. But it just made me think of other movies like that that do it much better. Is it, I will say, every time that you join us for the classic episodes of Gilded Film Podcast, we always have the one movie, and it's with you, that has great scenery, beautiful scenery, like this and King Solomon's Mines, you know? <laughs> out of Africa. Oh, yeah, that too, I guess. Well, look, we're, out of, we're really out of Africa for this one. We're I guess that's not a classical one, but yeah. I mean, we weren't alive. That's true. Um, but no, it's it's fine. I really couldn't tell you anything about it a day later after seeing it. Um, great coins, beautiful coins. <laughs> the, oh, I, I did think of a Lizzie McGuire movie. That's yeah, oh, yeah. my gosh. Definitely. Okay. I, is there a character in this name, Paolo, at all? <laughs> no, there has to be. Has to be. I'm pretty, somebody said the name Paolo, and I went, sing to me, Paolo, and I turned to Toby. <laughs> reaction. Fun, fun fact, Toby's not seen the Lizzie McGuire movie. Oh. Incredible. I know. We need to, we need to reevaluate this. So, <laughs> yeah, no. But the, uh, I think the biggest gripe that I had going into it and watching it was I, I these actresses and actors in that case to me are not as noticeable or well known to me at this like current stage like I don't know who Louis Louis Jordan is and that's it the rest of them I got very confused as to who they were I was looking for Dorothy McGuire but for the life of me I don't remember her enough in Gentleman's Agreement to care what she was but I mean it was I don't know it was fine would I ever see this again? No. The song, I will say it's a banger. It's a good start. I was also kind of like, oh, this is nice hearing this song. And then it's like 20th Century Fox presents. And I'm like, wait, that was just the prologue? <laughs> like, you just couldn't start this without the prologue? Um, I would like to say we have done a Dorothy McGuire movie previously. Um, our fan favorite, Friendly oh. Persuasion. <laughs> you think i'm remembering that yeah i did not the recall that, that. I, the fact when i click on her name she looks like jane like a mixture of jane wyman and nancy reagan so maybe that's why i remember her from why ronald reagan loved the movie so much oh did he yeah remember his favorite movie. this is his favorite movie. oh i thought we we're talking about three coins but we're talking about <laughs> friendly persuasion <laughs> Actually, I forgot to say this. Eisenhower loved Seven Brides of Seven Brothers during this time. Interesting. But anyway, I don't know. It's nothing to, uh, again, this is the really one not to write home about because I am never going to see this again. I'm never going to care about this again. I I mean, I like it. The, you know what I like? I like it this time period in the 50s. And I see this with Summertime, the Catherine Hepburn movie, anybody, that you oh, get yeah. on set locations, which are really nice to look at. Because Rome in the 1950s and it's like Italy and all of that, it's a nice place. I mean, you know, I don't know. But also, fun fact, I guess I read only two coins are seen thrown. I will. I didn't think back. to count. Um, you can count because there's only one scene where they're like, oh, okay. Yeah, there's because Anita doesn't throw the coin. 
Yeah, because you're like, oh no, I never want to return to Rome. I want to go to America. That's another thing. Thank you, Josh Gad. I thought (laughs) at any point, at any point, they were going to start singing in this movie. (laughs) There's a point where two of them are going down the Spanish steps, which are like, if you've ever been to Rome, listeners, or Italy, Rome. Yes, in Italy, Italy, yes. Huge ass steps, right? And they're walking down, and all of all of a sudden, like the music starts to swell up, and I'm like, "She's gonna do it," and she's like, "Oh, you don't know what it's like to be in Rome." And I'm, I'm like thinking, "This is gonna happen. We're gonna start singing." You know what? This probably would have been better if it was a musical. I mean, probably yes. I would definitely give more of my suspension of disbelief. Yeah, I uh. I did not remember Dorothy McGuire from Friendly Persuasion. In fact, I still don't remember Dorothy McGuire from Friendly Persuasion. I do remember the goose. Um, (laughs) I remember her from The Spiral Staircase because I recently watched that for 1946. Oh my God. She's she's actually really good in that movie. Um, Yeah, I'm pretty much on the same page here as well. It's aggressively fine. It's, I can't say I dislike it, but I can't say I like it really. Um, the, I mean, the, the, there's three central romances going on essentially, and obviously, and you know, they all just feel like things that we've seen many, many times at the center. You know, one is two of them who have been friends for a long time, and maybe they finally see one is oh, the, putting on a persona, the other is oh, we have all these reasons we can't be together. All you know, stuff we've seen before. There's nothing really special to add to that here. Um, the the one between Dorothy McGuire and Clifton Webb is probably the one I was most interested in, probably because it's the most subtle of the three. But even then, I was like, eh, whatever. Um, I like the car. Fucking. <laughs> the what? The car that didn't have any brakes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> True. That was insane. I like that. That was, that was fun. Um, yeah, I the whole time I was watching, I was like, I can... I can deal with this because Rome, like, I think I enjoyed watching this because it's Rome. And like you said, Christian, it's very pretty and it's kind of cool. And it's a place I've never been. That seems really cool. And so I think to me, it's more of a, I I remember it more of as a travel log than anything else than an actual like narrative movie. Um, In fact, I, this one best color cinematography and I could not but think like, is it, really like great cinematography or is it just that Rome is beautiful you know and obviously it's shot well it's it's on cinema scope but it's like you know Rome is beautiful um so I don't know that that's what I leave with yes it is it does look really beautiful I think some of the 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 costumes and whatnot are nice but at the center there's not a whole lot going on worthwhile and I completely agree with Zay. I think the ending is just awful and they just kind of come out of nowhere and it's like, oh, hey, we're all going to meet up here. Uh, you know, that's like, it's all like friends coming together or something. And I don't know. It was a weird ending to me and it just kind of seemed really random. So again, it really would have worked out if this was a musical, I tell you. I mean, it was it remade as a musical. It was. Is he able to move the plot along? Uh, the sixty. It was nineteen sixty-four. The Pleasure Seekers, starring Anne Margaret. 
Interesting. Are we all just seeking pleasure in Rome? <laughs> well, Zay, do you want to go over what this won and what it was nominated for? Yes. Uh, it got three nominations. Which, let me pause you right there. Because only okay. three. For a movie like that, everybody seemed to eat up at the end of the night. Only three. Which pisses me off. Okay, go. <laughs> um, three nominations. You got two wins for Cinematography Color and Song, Three Coins in the Fountain, which both of you have contested now. And one for Best Picture. I mean, I think I, I haven't seen all of the nominations, something called The Silver Chalice and The Egyptians. Um, movies I probably do not want to watch. Um, but between this, Rear Window, and Seven Brides, I think Seven Brides might be my favorite cinematography. I don't know. It just does the most. It also does the, it does the most cinematography. So, But I also think it relies on its natural scenery, which is not a bad thing, but not necessarily the hardest work put in yeah i think like i love natural cinematography and you can do it like in ways that i think is like thoughtful to me it just like this one i don't know how much thought is actually going into it aside from like here's rome so um the, uh the actual song itself what do you what do you think of that i mean i i like the song i like the song too yeah i was not expecting to hear frank sinatra when this movie started uh, uncredited so, frank sinatra yeah yeah which is wild but yeah i like the song too do i like it more than the song from a star is born perhaps not thank you perhaps i yeah. do <laughs> also the most famous like thing that i know out of this movie is this is the he sings three three coins in the fountain during plane trains and automobiles where they're doing karaoke on the bus and they're like, pick a song. And he's like, three coins in the fountain. Oh. And everybody's like looking at him. And then they're like, Flintstones, meet the Flintstones. <laughs> <laughs> I have neither of you seen Plane Chains and all. I haven't yes. seen it in many years. Yes. Yeah. I watched it just this last year. Well, or, right. You had no excuse for not knowing what he was talking about. I did Thank know. You. I left. Mm. 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 It was, it was a mild laugh. <laughs> Good to see your uh, taste never changed, Brad. Yeah. Uh, I my my last thought on this movie is Christian. I think you you have to add this to the Star Is Born hate list alongside the Country Girl, not just because the song win, but also because a Star Is Born got six nominations and somehow they they gave this one the Best Picture nom. I mean. <laughs> we'll talk about it later <laughs> <laughs> sorry i'm milking this for all i can i have to right. I, yeah. we don't get to talk about the stars born for the next one okay that's fair <clears throat> all right are we ready for our best picture winner yeah let's all right yeah. let's let's name names <laughs> oh gosh all right. Well, yes, this is our best picture winner is on the waterfront. 
directed by Elia Kazan, who was infamous for naming names at the HUAC trials. This was well after that occurred. He still got best director for it. Really interesting story there leading up to what year was it? They gave him like the, the honorary Oscar and some people decided to clap, oh, some not. It was like, it was like 99. 90, yeah, something like that. Yeah. So yeah, very controversial figure there. Um, but this was his second Oscar win um, for this film, which follows Terry Malloy, who's played by Marlon Brando. He is a former boxer, um, like professional boxer, had a shot at winning like a title, um, but threw it because he was basically in the grips of Johnny Friendly, who's played by Lee J. Cobb. Johnny Friendly is like the, he's the corrupt union boss that runs the waterfront. Um, and this takes place in New Jersey. Um, so he, in a way, he, he ended Terry's boxing career because Terry had to throw fights for him, for his butts. Um, but also kind of makes Terry's life a living hell otherwise because being part of this corrupt union, um, he obviously is a lawbreaker. He could get in a lot of trouble for what he does. But anybody that even comes close to ratting out on him gets killed. And Terry, you know, he's like pushing 30. He's still pretty young amongst the central group that surrounds Johnny Friendly. But he gets brought into this. And one of his jobs early on, like beginning of seeing the film, is basically to call up uh, Joey Doyle to the roof of buildings and unbeknownst to Terry so they can throw him off and kill him because they know he's going to talk. And that is a big event for Terry because it basically sets off this, um, this crisis of consciousness for him. Um, he knows this isn't right. He's guilty about it. But he knows that if he talks, he's probably going to end up dead. But still fighting back that urge of like, should I do this? Should I turn them in? Do I really want to live my life in the grips of Johnny Friendly and his own brother, Charlie, who's played by Rod Steiger, who is like, basically the accountant for Johnny Friendly in some ways. Um, and one of his right-hand men. Things become even more complicated for Terry when he gets involved with Joey Doyle's sister, uh, who's played by Eva Marie Saint. And um, they fall in love and um, spend a lot of time together. Uh, her name is Edie. And he also gets in touch with um, the local bishop, um, blanking on the name. Father Barry, Father Barry, who's played by Carl Malden. Um, really great cast here, but those two, Edie and Father Barry, they are really pushing Terry to do the right thing, um, especially once they both find out what Terry knows. And so that's what the film is mostly about. It's this Terry dealing with his conscious and him kind of working around that and finding out what he should do and those that kind of influence him making that decision. Love this movie. Absolutely adore it. Uh, I've seen it. I think this is probably my fourth time. And uh, I, I still just really think it's pretty amazing. Obviously, there's a bit of a stain because of the director. Um, but as far as what is on screen, I think it's just really fascinating to see what this character goes through. It, it's, it's my type of character. He, he's very flawed. He does bad things, things he shouldn't do but there's still sympathy there. They're still wondering, like being totally involved in the big decision he's going to make and what that's going to be. Um, Marlon Brando, I, I can't really say anything that hasn't been said, but just to say that 
I agree with the hype. I, I think it's one of the all-time great performances. One of my favorite best actor winners that I've seen. Um, just so naturalistic and, and can't take your eyes off him. He's obviously got the scene in the car with his brother where he gives that very famous monologue about how he could have been a contender. But everything else he does is so amazing. Uh, even the small stuff where he's just kind of showing, you know, he has this outer kind of shield that he needs to drop at some point. And it, you know, at some point it's going to happen. And so he's great. Even Marie Saints, the other Oscar winner, I think is a revelation here. I think she's fantastic. My other favorite performance is Carl Malden as Father Barry. Um, I know three actors from this, him, Cobb and Steiger were all nominated for supporting actor. Out of those three, he is just slightly my favorite. I think he does some really interesting things here. Lee J. Cobb is obviously great as well. Um, but Malden is, is kind of a force in the movie. I, I think he's a really key factor that really goes into everything that happens. So I love it. I, I think it has a level of grit to it that I wouldn't expect. It, it reminds me of like some like black and white French movie maybe from this time that really does kind of get like, I'm thinking like 400 blows. Like if Terry Malloy was a grown up like that character, that's what this feels like to me. So there's just a level of realness and grit to it that I really like. Um, it's a movie I really, I, I, I like it a lot on the surface. But once I think about the personal history behind Kazan, then I'm just like, I start to think about it more and I'm like, mm. which I, it's the divorce of author and whatnot. But I'm also thinking like, what he was going through at like pretty much at this exact same time and you know it is a story on the surface it's a story about corruption and how getting too much power will make you corrupt and wanting to be a part of that will also make you corrupt um but the fact that he's like also at the same time throwing all these people under the bus ratting them all out so that he can save his own skin or whatnot at that time, I'm just like, what is this movie really trying to say then in that context? And it's just weird to me, but... Mm, so I don't think this is ever a movie I can say I love, but I do really like it. I do very appreciate it, especially because of the acting of... Brando and Marie Saint, Eve Marie Saint, Eve Saint Marie, Eve Marie Saint, Eva Marie Saint. I'm sorry, I overthought it. Um, honestly, and also Carl Carl Malden, um, great cast. I, yeah, and you can definitely see its imprint on movies to come because it has that very like <sighs> it has that underdog feel I think that a lot of movies that are especially like Oscar movies to come that people really enjoy I think they all have the same DNA as this film um, 
not to mention having Brando saying iconic lines that people continue to say in an accent for the rest of their lives. Um, so yeah, I it's a movie that I've just had to sit with and just thinking about the complexities of the real life bleeding into the film where I just sit back and I'm like, on one hand, I could think of it this way. On the other hand, I could think of it that way. And at the end of the day, it just it's just a very big thinking exercise for me. Um, but yeah, on the surface, very well-made movie, very good. It's on the waterfront. I mean... Okay. So I have a surprise. Oh. Let's see if our listeners can hear this because it's... Oh my god. I forgot about this. Could you hear it? I can vaguely hear it. I, that was probably the second time I've seen the movie, so... There's little, there's little Brett from 2017 reciting the classic you don't understand i could have had class i could have been a contender i remember you sending me this oh god yeah there it is i still have it it's deep I, in the bowels i always forget this exists and then like every year or so <laughs> christian brings it out and i'm like oh my god <laughs> <laughs> it's nestled right in there in my in my snapchat memories <laughs> But um, so I saw this last year. It was like it felt like if it was a few months ago. So I did not see this for this rewatch. And I've seen this many times, too. But I always so like in thinking about it, I do like this movie. I think I tell myself I love this movie. But at the very heart of it, I don't think I would put it into like a top 100 favorite movies of all time i will definitely say brando's performance is like top notch it's incredible it's great i really like uh even marie saints carl malden i really like lee j cobb i think out of the three nominated um supporting actors there because i i like a villain character and i think he just does that well see uh cc on like what 12 angry men with that mm, yeah um yes this is a very gritty gritty film and it's a very realistic film like this shit happens this shit happened in the docks of New Jersey. Um, but yeah, I don't, it's, it's also interesting because I don't really associate the whole uh, Kazan situation with a lot of things only because I tend to always forget about it. Since I know that it's out there, I've heard like Karina Longworth podcast about it. I've seen the video at the Oscars and understand why a lot of them weren't clapping or just sitting down. I just don't know why I've never really pushed myself to investigate further, I guess, or seem to always remember it because of what this movie is saying of, you know, the everyday working man versus the big crime syndicate that's running everything in town. You know, the true, it's a true underdog story. Okay. It is a true underdog story. So I'll give you that. But yeah, so it's like, I do like this movie. I do. It's a five-star movie for me. It's just, I don't seek it out all the time. You know, I don't want to seek it out unless I'm watching it for like something like this or I don't know, just like a best picture rewatch. It's like when the last time I watched it or doing like, just like going through best actor winners, what have you. Yeah. But I still think I, it's great. Like I, it is an amazing movie. So the cast stacked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I think Zaya, I think your point is, 
yeah great point and like i i think deep down i i, I probably agree with it because I, I think i do like i definitely don't think you should always separate author from artist i think here it's especially hard because yes like it's you can't look at it and not see parallels between terry situation naming names kazan naming names i admit i i have to put some blinders up sometimes when i watch this one uh whether i should or not that's you know that's up to to whoever but yeah i don't know i i think part of it you know terry i try to to think of him as his own character in some ways like obviously there's basis of kazan in there do you, think is, do you think sorry to interrupt do you think this is like a mea culpa from kazan too for saying like hey i'm sorry i've done this sorry i did this but look maybe i'm like an like an underdog story just like this guy and then everybody like oh my god maybe he's right i love this movie here's an oscar i see it as a i see it more as a try to understand me type of thing yeah uh, but I don't know, like Terry being specifically a prize fighter who specifically had his brother kind of turn his back on him. That helps me come back a little bit. I mean, I think about like the the big monologue scene. That, the, the line that's famous from that is, you know, I, I could have been a contender. I could have been somebody. The line that really gets me is it wasn't him, Charlie. It was you, you know, because they're they're talking about how Charlie, his brother, says that manager screwed you over we could have got you the best and terry's like no charlie you screwed me over and it's like finally letting out like charlie this is your fault you were my big brother you were supposed to stand stand up for me and that really that hits that that it's the very first part of that speech but as it all comes together that's what really hits for me and i don't know just brings that character together but at the same time you can't realistically separate it from kazan which is tough I was about to ask if I could just like reenact that entire scene for the puck. <laughs> Go for it. Do you it. want me to? It's up to you. I've done it before, obviously, not for the podcast, but they've all heard it now. Well, I won't do I won't do the Brando accent, but I will read to you what Brett is saying. That way you have the in-depth. But it wasn't him, Charlie. It was you. Remember that night in the garden? You came down to my dressing room and you said, Kid, this ain't your night. You're going for the price on Wilson. You remember that? This ain't your night. My night, I could have taken Wilson apart. So what happens? He gets a title shot outdoors on the ballpark. And what do I get? A one-way ticket to Palookaville. You was my brother, Charlie. You should have looked out for me a little bit. You should have taken care of me just a little bit so I wouldn't have had to take them dives with the shortened memory. Oh, I had some bets down for you. You saw some money. You don't understand. I could have had class. I could have been a contender. I could have been somebody instead of a bum, which is what I am. Let's face it. Let's face it. It was you, Charlie. I love how you said not in the Brando accent and then I could have been a contender. <laughs> That's the only <laughs> It's impossible to do it not in the accent. You know, fun fact, and I know it's probably like, oh, I rolled a Christian, but this might be the only time so far that we have had three movies with a Golden Girls reference attached to it. <laughs> because there is a wow. full on, there's a full on moment in one of the episodes where Stan quotes that the, you don't understand Dorothy, I could have had class, I could have been somebody instead of a bum. I just got a one way ticket to Palookaville. And then Dorothy's like, did you just rent on the waterfront, Stanley? 
Also, I know this movie is not everybody's cup of tea, but Raging Bull, when Robert De Niro quotes it in the in front of his mirror, I love that scene too. He does. Oh, I forgot that. Yeah. Wow, Brett, just say, Zay, I know you didn't like Raging Bull. I feel there's there's that no for real. There's like a lot of people out there not fans of Raging Bull. So I've always thought to myself, what happens if someday walking on the streets of Indiana? Zay would like to run into Martin Scorsese. Like, what would that interact? I would want to see that interaction. Would it just be like a, oh, hey. Or would it be like a, oh my God, this is, I got a text. I got a text Christian and Brett. It'd probably be like, Marty, what are you doing in Indiana? Honestly, without <laughs> randomly walking around. I'm sure Indiana had some mobsters at one point. I mean... If you look into the origins of Orville Redenbacher. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> the popcorn? The popcorn king? King of something else beforehand, I guess. <laughs> oh Let's just say he didn't start out that way. He didn't have a whole lot of money to get that popcorn. I just, I just got a Twitter notification, actually. It says, Al Pacino signs new Scorsese film about Orville Redenbacher. Creators <laughs> intent to murder competition. Oh, jeez. I don't want the people, I want the people out there to think I don't like Martin Scorsese. I think he's a very accomplished director, and he's done many great things. He's just not my cup of tea for viewing things i like hugo and i like silence and the last temptation of christ i'm gonna get you to like a gangster movie (laughs) (laughs) finger wag and everything all right well this had anyway on the waterfront (laughs) (laughs) at eight oscar wins obviously picture and director marlon brando for actor supporting actress for eva marie saint um, also, story and screenplay, as original was called back then, uh, black and white cinematography, black and white art direction, and film editing. Uh, four additional noms, three of which were the three supporting actors we mentioned, Cobb, Malden, and Steiger, and the score, which I think is fantastic. Forgot to mention that, but outstanding score. I'm also pretty confident that, and I may be wrong, but even Marie Saint is the oldest living winner. I bet so. I remember something like that coming out when Olivia de Havilland passed away. So, yeah, I, so I, I think I, you're right. I think it's her. Yeah. That makes sense. Yes. Because Joanne Woodward's was later 50s. Nope. No. Oh. Walter Murrish. Murch? Wait, I'm talking acting wins. You didn't say that. <laughs> I'm talking acting wins. Wait, what did okay, Walter Murch win for? I want to know, yeah. though. Wait, Walter Murch, like the editor? Hold on. This is as of March 8th. Did he just die? Who are we talking about? If we're talking about the sound (laughs) guy, he was born in 43. (laughs) Uh, He picked up his prize for his work as the producer of In the Heat of the Night. Oh. Walter Murch. Okay, 
I'm no, it, so it, sorry. It's funny because there is a Walter Murch who has won three Oscars for sound. Okay, writers. well, that's also, <laughs> that's where I was like, oh yeah, Walter Murch, of course. But then I was like. You're talking to the two former film uh majors here who are uh, like hey, I, I had to look Walter Murch out I can't claim credit for that I had to look that up <laughs> oh no Walter Murch I'm like wait the sound guy from Apocalypse Now it's fine I I get paid no money to go on this podcast just to embarrass myself on the regular it's fine you're fine we all do it's, but no. Eva Marie Saints bless her heart 97 years old very nice. Let's see. Is she going to be anything? Oh, last in 2014. Oh. Let the woman retire. That's pretty recent. Uh, remember when she, like, like presented at the Oscars? Yeah. moment. It says 90th Academy Awards herself presented for costumes. I don't remember that. I'm sorry. Oh. I'm sorry, oh, Winter's Tale? Did anyone even see that? I did. But the Colin Firth movie? Yeah. No, Colin or, Farrell. Colin Farrell, okay. Whatever. <laughs> Both Collins. Anyway, that was on the waterfront. <laughs> All right. Well, yes, that's our Best Picture winner. Are we ready to rank these five movies? Yes. yes. All right. I will go first this time. Uh, at number five, I have Three Coins in the Fountain. Number four, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. Would have been higher if not for that last 40 minutes. Number three, The Cane Mutiny. Number two, The Country Girl. And number one, On the Waterfront. Okay. Well, I think me and Christian should say ours at the same time. Okay, let's try this without a delay. Here we go. <laughs> a five, six, seven, eight. Number one, On the Waterfront. Wait a minute. Wait. I thought we were going backwards. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> I'm so sorry. You know, in the past week... I was going to wait and see if I, you just rolled with it, honestly. In the past week, I've learned what it takes to get somebody banned from something. <laughs> <laughs> For 10 years. Oh, no. Oh my god. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> Let's try this again. Okay. Number five. five. Three coins Three in the coins fountain. In fountain. <laughs> Number four. Number four. Country, girl. country girl. Three. Seven, seven brides. brides seven, brothers. seven brothers. Two. Two. The king mutiny. Number one, number one on the waterfront. Water <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit! Look at that. We made Brett have to turn off. Yeah, his I, I was, I was losing it. I. <laughs> also, <sighs> I've been saving that banning somebody joke for this entire week, <laughs> leading up to this, and I finally found out where to put it in. Perfect, and I'm glad it's me again. <laughs> oh. What's the overall uh, ranking? Yeah, overall ranking by Toby. Uh, number four, because we have a tie, is Three Coins in the Fountain. Number three, it's a tie between The Country Girl and Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. Number two, The Cane Mutiny. And number one, On the Waterfront. 
So among these five, we agree the Academy got it right. I will say without a doubt they got it right. Yeah. No contest. For me, a good lineup because there's none of them where I'm like actively where I'm like, I hated it. Yeah, I agree. I I think it's a good lineup. I mean, for me, On the Waterfront is the only one that I love. So, but definitely. Yeah, at the moment in my ranking, spoiler, On the Waterfront is the only one in my top 10. Oh, all right. Well, we will we will see that in our next episode where we will go over six more movies from 1954 and go over our honorable mentions, personal awards, and all that fun stuff. So be sure to tune in then. Uh, always rate, review, subscribe wherever you listen, especially Apple Podcasts. Appreciate all the five-star ratings. Uh, follow us on all the social media. Thanks as always to Zay for joining us. Any final thoughts from you? Um, I hope I have my shit together by next time. Perfect. <laughs> Christian, I saw I saw the laughter there. What, what's going on? I I I just want to say it's gonna be a nice episode. We'll talk in depth about Judy. Might have an appearance by James Mason. Of course. Some some butch cowboys. Um thank you to Zay and thank you to our surprise cameo from Josh Gad as well. oh my god thanks (laughs) james mason and josh gad you can't get more varied than that all right well yes thanks for tuning in and be sure to tune in next time bye